Hey everyone, welcome back to the Microcast and Microcosm Community Call. This call is recorded live on Friday, December 2nd. On this week's call, you'll hear from coaches Sarah Strong and Kylie Van Horn on their takeaways from the 2022 season. What went well, what they'd like to improve on, and what process-oriented goals will help guide them through 2023. From here, we'll transition into a conversation about planning for 2023 and offer some tips for winter running. I hope you enjoy this episode, and as usual, if you have any feedback, a question for a future call, or are looking for support in your running journey, please visit us on the web at microcosm-coaching.com or contact us at microcosmcoaching at gmail.com. Morning. Good to see everybody. Morning. Awesome. Well, looks like, uh, good. Got Sarah and Kylie here. Um, yeah, we have a lot to cover today. Um, probably in normal fashion, we won't get to everything, but, uh, that's all right. Um, a couple weeks before the, the Thanksgiving break, we were kind of getting into, some coach 2022 recaps. Um, and I believe I shared a little bit, Drew shared a little bit and Kristen shared a little bit about how our years went, what were our high points, what were our takeaways and process oriented goals for, um, 2023 based on kind of like what we, yeah, had experienced this year. And we're going to start today's call out with, um, yeah, kind of in that same vein, just with Sarah and Kylie. Sarah, I know you have a time commitment, so uh, would you be good leading us off with a little bit of that? Maybe like five, 10 minutes? It would be better if I could go second. If I can go second, that would be awesome. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Kylie. Yeah. Well, we'd love to hear from Kylie. All right. Uh, I'm not really sure. I wasn't on the call um, when you guys did this. So are you just going through uh, the questions one by one and just kind of <laughs> giving a short answer? <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just start us off with um, like what what went well for you in 2022? Like what was your what was your big highlight? OK, yeah. Um, I was able to do, um, 50 K in Fruta. So I was training for that last winter. Um, and I feel like that was a, it was good for me to have a, a goal during the winter months. I feel like sometimes, um, I get a little like demotivated or feel like I'm not progressing as much because I'm running like the same loops and running around in the snow. Um, but it was really nice to be able to train for something. And then I ended up training a lot with Zoe and, um, we took some trips to, to Fruta, um, early season, like late February and March. And, uh, just remember like some specific trips, um, taking the dogs and doing like a happy hour type recovery thing in Grand Junction. We like went to this, um, cheese shop and like bought a bunch of cheese and uh food and had um recovery uh stuff after the one of the runs so it was super fun um 
so that was a highlight and then um and then after that uh started experiencing a bunch of health issues so um so that was in April and then um after that um I started to have a lot of fatigue and even though my coach was trying to bring me back relatively conservatively um I wasn't able to kind of get back to a, where I felt like I should be and I wasn't feeling good in my running and so ended up getting a bunch of um I did like an inside tracker panel and stuff um and ended up working with a bunch of different people trying to figure out what's going on and I'm still kind of dealing with it a little bit but definitely figured out I uh, had iron overload actually. So um, I kind of preached to athletes to get blood work done uh, regularly and I hadn't really gotten blood work done and was taking an iron supplement. I hadn't had it done recently. So I think regular, it was a good lesson for me and for everyone else that, you know, it maybe you are taking an iron supplement for a little while um, but long-term iron supplementation might not be the best solution and making sure that you're getting regular blood work done uh, is an important part of the process to ensure that, um, that you're not overdoing it. And so that, that was one thing that we uncovered and then um, working through just some other stuff as well that uh, is stress related. And so I took a, I took a full like holistic approach to my recovery. Like I, um, hadn't engaged in therapy before and got a therapist and have been doing that. And so stress management has been huge, like with my business and, um, just everything going on in life and then nutrition. Like I had to make some changes nutrition wise due to the iron stuff. Um, and then, uh, just being patient with the process in, with my training. Cause I haven't really been able to put together, uh, as much of a structured training plan since my race in April. <laughs> um, and I'm still, and then I got hit with COVID and, uh, and I thought I was coming back from that recently. And like that came back, which was weird. Uh, so being, <laughs> I've been tested with setbacks, uh, again this year, but, um, but I think, it's been good to, you know, I got into agility with my dog and have gotten to do some other things, uh, other than running. Um, and then it gives me time to focus on my athletes as well. So, um, so still working through re COVID recovery now, but, uh, but I'm going to be back in 2023. That's my goal. <laughs> What is your supporting process oriented goal to help you navigate some of these setbacks and keep you on track in 2023? Um, well, I, I've kind of just been focusing on what I can actually do and going out and like enjoying doing shorter runs with my dogs and then like trying to do some strength training, which is not something I had done in the past. And so, um, being consistent with some other, um, just like not having quite as much of that 
structured training, but having like gratitude for the things that I can do now. Um, and then even focusing on things like, um, if I set up a, uh, something I'm going to do with my therapist, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. And then, you know, like those sorts of things, uh, on a weekly and daily basis versus, um, you know, I'm doing this workout, I'm doing this long run. So I'm trying not to like, um, catastrophize like oh I'm not back yet you know <laughs> yeah and I'm hearing a lot of focus on on the small steps and I think and particularly like you mentioned a lot about stress management and stuff like that and I I can certainly relate uh to some of the stuff that you're going through stress-wise um that stress when left unmanaged can manifest in mental health issues, physical issues. And that's nothing to, yeah, to be shy about or to, yeah, to like not want to talk about. Um, I think it's something that as coaches, we, we see all the time in the training logs. We are just because we're coaches doesn't mean we're immune to those kind of things. Um, you know, I think we are, we're humans too. And sometimes it's, easy to, to want to, yeah, maybe not talk about that, but I, I know that by mentioning things like that, Kylie, um, getting a bit vulnerable, it can help athletes. You know, we experience this stuff too. We have a myriad of tools that we use to, to work through these things. Sometimes they're new tools. Like you mentioned, um, you're working with a therapist now, or you took a more holistic approach to looking at what was going on with your health you know, like all of these things are are really important when we paint this picture um, about things that go on in our lives and how we use them to influence our, you know, our future planning, our the way that we're going to approach our future goals, our future, you know, athletic lives and, you know, our lives in a broader sense. It's it's super important. It can be really helpful. And this is like the whole idea of of the microcosm, right? Like as runners, we have these challenges that we face injuries, setbacks, and they're, they're always within this running lens, right? Like my ankle's hurting, what's going on here? Um, but when we apply tools to that thing, and then we, we broaden that, we zoom out, often those same tools are applied to other areas of life. The same way we would go to a PT when our ankle is bothering us, we would see a mental health expert when we're dealing with stress and we are having trouble managing that on our own. And I think, you know, it's just so important to continue to talk about these things and mention them here because it lowers the stigma around the issues and hopefully helps athletes engage in those sides of the process. Um, I know like as a coach, I see athletes who have trouble with that. And so when we talk about it, I think it can help them to embrace this as, as part of the process. And certainly, you know, we've heard from, from you a lot on this, Kylie, over the year, Kristen as well, like working through those things, developing tools around them really elevates the, the whole life human experience um, in general. It's not just about the running, right? Like running is just one lens or vehicle that we use to view these things. Um, yeah. Thank you, Kylie. I, I really appreciate you sharing. Um, yeah. Sarah, are you ready to share a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Awesome. 
So 2022 was a, a great year, I think. It was a wild year for me. I, I trained for a 24-hour race in February, hundred, and then I trained for a 100-miler, which was in May, and I didn't finish it, but I, you know, I did that training and ran a pretty big effort, and then I did another 100-mile training and ran 100 miles, and that took 35 hours. And also in there, I had, and so that's like in the last year. And in there, I also had COVID and did 250Ks. And for me, that is a significant amount of racing and training. Um, and it was, so I had my highest highs. I got my first ever first place um, at Staunton, which was like, the most amazing thing. I've never won anything in my life. I've been like in the middle of a packer. I ran cross country and um, track in high school and was always like, I got sixth place all of the time. And so that's sort of like what I'm used to. So it was amazing to, to get first place. And then my next race, I DNF'd. <laughs> and so it was literally like the highest high and then the lowest low, just not that much later, which I think was really good um, for me to, you know, not get an ego because I happened to have like one good performance in a small race that was 24 hours in the middle of winter and not a whole lot of people were in any way. <laughs> um, and, you know, it kept me you know, realizing what I had to work on and those sorts of things. So that's good. Um, and so I feel really, like, I feel really happy about, you know, that I put the training in and that I executed these, these races. Um, but like, I am in sort of this weird space where now I've run a hundred miles three times and, um, I'm having a hard time with that, like fulfillment piece at the end of the finish line. Hey, that's okay. Thank you for, yeah. for just saying um, that, Sarah. So it's just like um, finding the thing to train for that's going to like light the spark um, and keep me feeling like it's, um, you know, enough of a challenge, but that that doesn't require me to have to be um, trying to place because that's not realistic either so like I can't be thinking that speed is going to be where I'm going to get my challenge but then once you've done these really hard races that have a lot of elevate you know they're very challenging and then you do it it's like okay so where does that next challenge come and so where I have struggled is in the, the recovery since Orcas um not running like I'm not running. I have been the, la the last um, eight days. I've run seven times and that's really huge because I was not running for most of October and November. Um, and that's not happened the whole time I've been working with Zoe. I've always been like ready to get back out there, like ready for the next thing. And I think because I trained for all of these huge events in the last year, which is like way more than I've ever done. Um, I think I was just exhausted. I think my body was just like, oh my gosh, like, can we please stop and rest and then get excited about the next thing? And so I think I'm rounding that corner. And to sort of normalize this a little bit, so I'm about the six week, seven week mark after the race. And from a clinical perspective, after we have a really big life event, it can take about six weeks for our brain to sort of adjust. And so I do 
I noticed that a lot in my recoveries from like hundred mile events, it takes about six weeks for me to get back to normal. So I was expecting the six weeks, um, but it's never presented like this where I just like couldn't get out the door to run just, you know, and I know we like talk about motivation all the time and it's like, it's the discipline, it's the routine, it's all this. And I just like, couldn't, couldn't move forward. Um, so that, that has been a challenge. And then, so the way that then what happens is I don't log. So I think we all know athletes do this. I know athletes do this and I see myself doing it with Zoe. And so where I think about where I, what would help is like, instead of feeling shame and turning away from my support is if I went to the log, even on the days I don't run. And, you know, it's hard for me to say I didn't run today. Like writing that sentence is really I don't like writing it. So then I just don't lock. I just don't lock. And then I have this amazing support who would be like, hey, it's okay. What do we need to do? Like, how can I get you through this? And instead of using that, I'm like, you know, suffering through it alone. So that's my process oriented goal for next year is to log on the days that I don't run um, and to like utilize the support that I have um, and try to like work on that like negative self-talk shame piece around the missing missing days. Amazing. I love, like, I think it's just so important. And I really want athletes who are listening to this call later and aren't here live to just pause the, the call at this point and just for a moment and just think about maybe how some of the things that Sarah mentioned show up in, in your training and in your life. Um, I can think of so many times where I've had similar, similar things are happening. Right. And like, there's, there are these expectations that we have. Um, and sometimes when we, what is occurring in our reality doesn't fall into alignment with those expectations. It can be really difficult. Uh, you know, just thinking about what Sarah mentioned, you know, three really big races in a year, we all know that that is, that's a lot. And when we say that, that's, if, if the dialogue is, that's not a lot, or we see, you know, on social media and stuff, people who do more than that, and somehow they can do that. And maybe that plays a role in how we're thinking about these events, guys, it takes months to come back after a race. And that that's the most important time. That's the critical time for an athlete, not running the race because how we respond in those moments of adversity, it really dictates a lot of what's to come. And that's why, you know, we want to talk about these things, our experiences and how that's going to influence planning for 2023. That's why we do these things in the same call because they work together when you have a situation like Sarah's in where you know, you've put yourself out there so many times, it's actually really normal to be depleted at the end of the season and need more time off. And we've got to listen to our bodies rather than force that. And it's a perfect time to develop other hobbies, maybe to think a little bit, not critically, but just openly and non-judgmentally about some things you could work on in the next season. Like Sarah has pointed out a couple of things where she wants to do better like leaning into the, to, to the support and the training log. Um, I, you know, coaching, I've coached hundreds of people at this point, like probably close to 300 people. I can't tell you how prevalent that pattern is. And 
it's okay. Like we all feel like I feel sometimes shame. Even if I go skiing instead of do a run, I feel a little weird when I tell my coach, like I actually prioritize something else today other than the run training. Oh, it makes me feel weird, but I'm still going to put it in the training log. That's an important process, right? Like for me internally, for my coach to know what I'm up to, because the worst is, and I'm speaking for all coaches here, we've all experienced this and it's so hard. We put so much love and effort and focus and detail into every single athlete's log. And when we don't hear from somebody for days, weeks, sometimes months, it is not great for a coach mentally. It's very difficult. Like, you know, like I, like that's something that in my coaching I have to work on. It's like, how do I better deal with that when people don't feel comfortable using the log. Um, you know, anyways, it's, it's hard, but we want to, we're a team here, like coach and athlete, we're a team, you know, we're all working together to support each other. That's how this community works. That's the lens in which, you know, we're operating and viewing things. Um, you know, the athlete has to support the coach too. And because the coach is supporting the athlete, it is a, a relationship of mutual reciprocity, more or less like, yes, this is very, service oriented and you know it's our job as coaches to always be working hard to up our level and provide great service and to to change and adapt in a way that is beneficial to the athlete but if it's not a two-way street the relationship never never lasts like just straight up i've been doing this full time for long enough to know and to be able to say that like a great relationship is is a mutual relationship with that communication. So Sarah, thank you. I know it's hard to, to mention those sort of things. And I, you know, just want to let you know that that's not a referendum on who you are, what kind of athlete you are, the work that you've done, the amazing accomplishments that you've had. Like, this is just another thing that we're working on. And like, we all have a lot of things that we're working on, right? Like we're all humans. Um, we're none of us are are perfect and do everything right. Um, and so it's super important to to note that. And I just it's it's awesome to hear you and and Kylie and guys. If you didn't listen to the call to uh, two or three weeks ago, where Drew and Kristen and I talked about the challenges we went through this year and the highs and what we're working on in 20, for twenty twenty three please go back and listen to that call. It's very, very important. Like success in this is about the challenges. Success is about like working through the low points. Uh, that's where we really find out who we are. That's where we develop our tools. That's how we become better versions of ourselves. Um, can't really overstate that. Let's, um, I don't know if any of the coaches, any of that like brought up anything like final, final thoughts, but I kind of want to use this to transition over to planning for 2023. Um, because I know a lot of athletes are thinking about their goals for 2023. I've gotten some emails already with, you know, possible race schedules and things like that. I'm sure you guys have as well. Um, and, and like when we're planning for things and Sarah, you mentioned this in our notes, um, you have to think about like all of those factors that line up in a calendar year, periods of stress, family stuff, 
school breaks, like all of these things, like all the stuff that we learned about our habits and routines in one year, we then get to apply the following year in order to influence what events we do. And it's super, super, super important. Um, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll just start with, with that idea, um, applying what we've learned in 2022 to influence what we're going to do in the next year, 2023. Um, Sarah, you're like, like this is your, your bread and butter in a way, right? Like you are a small business owner. You're a mom, like you, you get it. Like you understand time is limited. How do you approach planning for next season when thinking about school breaks and family stress? Like you talked a little bit about this in other calls. I feel like you've, you've got a great perspective on this. Like what, what are your ideas here? Um, (laughs) it's, I mean, it's challenging, right? Thinking about balancing all of the things. So I think first is, uh, you know, looking at, um, yeah, look, like you said, starting with this year, what were the big things this year? What were the periods of stress that I had? What were the times when I remember, you know, it was challenging? Like, so for example, um, like I think it can, it's like, oh, I'll get a whole bunch of runs in during spring break. And then like your kids are around for 24 hours a day. And like, it's actually more challenging to get the runs in for spring break and those sorts of things. So really taking taking a look um, at, those things. And like, I mean, I honestly think it's not a bad idea to just lay out a visual calendar. And um, because some of these things can be challenging to just think of. And when you look at it and you see how things are going to stack up, right? So, okay, I'm looking at this race. This would be here. Okay, well, I'm going to back up two weeks and assume these next couple of weeks would be peak week, right? Or like right around here, I'm going to have to be running a lot. Like, so back up, does that make sense? Does that work? Is that hitting in the middle of something? And then that doesn't mean you can't do it. Um, but it does mean you want to communicate with your coach about like any potential strategies and say to your coach, like, Hey, I've got this going on. I'm not going to be able to fit runs in this week. What do you think about that? You know, so opening up that dialogue, being transparent and then planning ahead, like the more that you plan ahead, the more you're able to control earlier on. Um, but I also think a big, like, I always I think it's good to start with, right? So yes, there are the things that we have to do, like the non-negotiables, like schedule, look at those, put those on that calendar, that visual. And I think a really important next step is to put what you want on the calendar. So it's very easy to think of things as, um, so there are like absolute have to do's. And then there are the things that we give ourselves pressure around or the things that we should do, or like it would be nice to do and that kind of thing. So I think before you start factoring in those things, you start with what's like really important to me. Like, what are the things that I really want to do? Put those in and then come back with the things, those extras that would be like, that maybe you feel a sense of responsibility around and see if they work. Right. But I think don't don't start too much with 
um, all of the other responsibilities, because I think it's very common to feel defeated and feel like there's not time. I can't do it. I can't make it work. There's no way. Right. And so if you start with this huge mountain of things and you really focus on that, you're going to talk yourself out of any race. So I think, you know, don't feel, don't think of it as like, can I do this? Can I not? But how can I problem solve this? Like, how can I make this work with these factors that I have to consider? I really like that tip, right? Because sometimes our, I don't like our big dream race or whatever it is, like that thing that we've been really excited about for a long time. Sometimes when we look realistically at our, the way that our lives line up on a calendar, it can be, we can almost limit ourselves by being like, wow, like actually this is like a tough race to fit in because like, the kids are on spring break. And so like, I can't train, I have to watch them or like whatever it is, it can be difficult, but embracing the problem solving aspect of that, I think is, is really fun and interesting, right? Like that's where we have the chances athletes to get creative, maybe to dig deeper, um, to figure out like, where are those little like nooks and crannies where we can like fit the mountain legs in or like some other kind of like small routine that does help us get ready for um, a race during a difficult time. Um, I, I, I definitely, I'm thinking about that in my mind right now because I have some interesting races, hopefully for 2023 that don't really traditionally fall in like times that I would normally race. Um, and so it'll be really interesting. And I think it's fun. Like some people, I'm like kind of one of those people are like in the gratitude call. I said, I'm grateful for the challenges. And like, I, I like that. I think it gives me, you know, not everybody likes that, but like for me that works. And so a lot of what you mentioned, Sarah, like when we combine that with like, what are our likes and dislikes? Like, what have we learned from the previous season about who we are, what we enjoy doing, what we enjoy don't enjoy doing should really influence like a lot of that decision-making, right? Like if you like a challenge with your schedule, if you enjoy being busy and trying to like figure out how to optimize for a race when like, maybe it's not the best timing, like, yeah, embrace that thing. But if traditionally, like that's not where you find your energy or get lifted up, it could be a good idea to maybe move things around in a different way. Um, I'm not sure if like Drew or uh, Kristen maybe wants to add on a little bit to, to just that thought idea. Yeah, I think that with a lot of athletes, they're coming off of a, a pretty busy, you know, fall racing season. And I know that we've discussed kind of the winter season as uh, perhaps for a lot of people, an opportunity to work on maintenance and, and you know, little things that you can do to become a, like a, a more resilient runner or less injury prone runner or whatever it is. Um, I just want to say that it's, it's okay to not know. Right. So, so don't feel the pressure to be like, Oh my gosh, like I have to have a call or, or write an email to my coach and, and I need to know what the entire 2023 brings. It's okay to just take time um, and, and wait on, on those feelings to come to you. 
Um, I've got several athletes right now. They're like, I don't know. Like, I, I literally don't know. Like, I just feel like I'm not burned out, but I'm just kind of like mentally tired from, from the season. I just want to take a little bit of time, um, work on, you know, little things with me. And then maybe we can have that conversation in February or March, which is totally acceptable. So just want to make sure that in, in having the discussion of 2023, that no one feels the pressure to be like adding a ton of stuff to their calendar right now. I definitely agree with that. I think that there, I think that there is a lot of pressure to constantly be racing and there, we put these expectations on ourselves that like, Oh, if my coach is racing or, Oh, if another coach or all these other athletes are racing, like it's easy to play the comparison game. Like if you're scrolling through social media, like that is easy to do. And I definitely fall into that trap sometimes where um, like a friend of mine will run something. I'm like, Ooh, I want to run something too. I want to be fast. I want to, you know, but then you kind of have to reel it in and ask yourself what's feasible with your own schedule. So for planning ahead, um, I think to Sarah's point, having like a visual board so that you can see how it's going to lay out is really important. Um, but I think it's also important to know that you don't have to race to be a runner. You don't have to sign up for something a year in advance. You don't have to have your entire year planned out to be a runner. Like you're still a runner. You still do the thing every day. It's not who you are. It's what you do. But I just, I don't know. I tell my athletes a lot that it's like, just because you're not racing right now, doesn't mean that your value as an athlete or a person is any lower you know, so I think, I think that that's so important. Like I'm honestly not really planning on racing in 2023 and that's okay. <laughs> um, I've had a big last year, like eight months of it were spent injured. So I'm going back to the drawing board I'm working on, you know, dialing in nutrition, dialing in strength, dialing in the fat, like reestablishing a foundation, but that doesn't make me less of an athlete. That doesn't make me less of a runner. Um, so if there is any expectation, any pressure, um, to race, like get that off your desk. You don't need that. Let's talk about that for a second. Cause I think those points are really important. I was yesterday rereading some passages in the infinite game by Simon Sinek, one of my favorite books, something every athlete and business owner should read. Um, and it's all about the infinite mindset. And what Kristen just mentioned there was like literally what the infinite mindset is. Like we're perpetuating a process that is much greater than one year and certainly more greater than one, one week. And when we have, when we go back to what Drew mentioned as well, when we look at things from event to event to event, rather than from a holistic perspective, which Kristen mentioned, I'm looking at rebuilding, starting at the beginning. I might not race. It's okay not to race. Like we're working to become better runners and better humans here. Like we're looking to take things that we learn in running and apply them in other areas of our lives. That's the purpose. That is an infinite process. It's a process of continual growth, not a process of this race in this race in this race. And when athletes, it's okay to plan out your season and to want to race, 
But when we make that the priority, it becomes very difficult to continually improve because the growth often happens in the spaces, right? Like those big intervals. It doesn't happen in the moment where of most intensity, when we're pouring ourselves into a specific training build, you know, it's, it's the work that you've done before, just improving on being a runner, just getting better at showing up, all these things, getting better at building habits around strength or nutrition, things that lift your whole system up and help to build your foundation. So that way, then you can rise up to the challenge of a big race and a big build, et cetera, et cetera. So we really want to steer athletes away from the idea that you have to race, that you have to go from event to event to event. And we want to use the races as celebrations of the work that we do. And that is why it's so important to really digest and listen to all the things that the coaches just mentioned here when we do look at what we want to do. You know, there is no rush. Of course, there's lotteries happening and things like that. And we can jump into those lotteries and give ourselves you know, the options and keep our options open, but we don't have to commit to those things necessarily. Not today. We want to make that commitment when it really speaks to us, when it's something that is going to allow us to live the kind of lives that we want to live, allow us to do the the training and engage in the daily processes that, that we enjoy. I mean, that's really the key to sustainable training. And I know that's almost a far out idea in the mainstream, because when we, when we look at things, right, like it's all about like accomplishments, quarterly earnings, like all of this, like very finite, very finite things. It's like, wow. Okay. Did you win or did you lose? Did you make more money this month than last month? Like all of these things that are very finite, but they really have nothing to do with perpetuating the process. You know, it's all about continual growth. That's something that you're going to hear from the coaches all the time. And that doesn't mean you can't want to win a race. You can't want to race as hard as you can and really express yourself in that way. No, that's that's totally a part of the process, but we need to look in, at things in, in bigger terms. Um, I see some head nods from the other coaches. So who wants to, to jump in a little bit on this conversation of, of building out our 2023? Kylie, what do you recommend to, to your athletes, um, you know, around this time of year when people are starting to think about their next season? Um, well, I think one thing that I was going to say is in kind of jumping off of Kristen's, like not doing any, maybe not doing any races in 2023, I was going to say that, um, you know, I'm not planning any, like, I don't know at this point what what that's going to look like for me, but, um, and I've been working on health stuff, et cetera, for the last eight months, but I still, uh, kept my coach because I think like for me, like I want that support and I still feel like I have things that I want to do, but even so, like just having that person, like be there for you, um, when you're struggling, uh, like, on a weekly basis, I'm sure that my training plan, my training plan takes like no time to build right now because it's not very structured. Um, but just having that support system has been really, uh, great for me. And I've continued to have a coach and still will in 2023, even if I don't do a single race. 
So I just kind of wanted to point that out too. I mean, everyone's different, but I think, um, you know, considering like, do I have, like, why do I feel like I have to do this race to, um, you know, feel like a a successful, um, runner or, um, you know, why am I, it it causes you to like, maybe look at why your why and like, why am I running and that sort of thing too. Um, in regards to, I do have some athletes that struggle a little bit at this time of year with motivation, uh, around, especially around the holidays and like a lot of like stress at the end of the year and, um, and maybe not like thinking about, uh, even 2023. And so I think, um, just evaluating, uh, you don't even have like kind of going along with what we're saying, like you don't have to do a race in January or you don't have to do this race in March to be, um, uh, like achieve your maybe goals or whatever you want to do with your, your running, et cetera. Like I even have, um, some people where, uh, I might say like, Hey, maybe we do include some other activities at this time of year. Um, and maybe that will, you know, help you a little bit like, um, uh, skiing or, uh, biking, like switching things up a little bit for them so that they feel like they can, I mean, I have some athletes in Colorado that like, they want to go and ski with their friends and stuff. And so maybe encouraging them to build some of that stuff into, uh, their plan, um, and having like, you know, a minimum amount that we're running through the winter, but having some other things in there, I think can help people, um, just feel like, oh, it's not all about, um, running for me. And then, um, I really want people to consider like, what am I excited about, uh, in 2023 when I'm choosing my races? Like, I don't want to be the one I get so many questions about, like, do you think I should do this race? And like, what about these races? And I'm like, well, which one's most exciting to you? Like, I don't well, I'm not going to say like, don't do this race. I think, well, I might, if it's like, you know, a hundred miler in three months or something, but, uh, more about like, does this excite you? And, um, you know, is it a cool, like a lot of my athletes will pick a cool location because they want to go and, um, do a little trip. So I, I want my athletes to feel like, yes, I can guide you in maybe the distance and the, how realistic something is, but, um, location wise, et cetera, like, I think pick things that are exciting to you. Agreed. I think, I think having any amount of excitement about something you're going to go do, that's hard. Um, is really important because if you're not excited about it and you're doing it for external validation or reasons beyond that excitement, um, you might need to go back to the drawing board or talk to your coach. But I think to Kylie's point, like keeping your coach, staying involved, engaging with the community, even if you're not racing, like I'm planning on volunteering at all of the races I can. Like I'm going to be the aid station queen of 2023. And it is so exciting to me. Um, so I think. I mean, with that said, like your coach isn't, you know, like my job as a coach isn't just to like write out a log every day and then completely disengage. Like I am so involved and like love learning and taking looks into my athletes lives because like 
that brings me so much joy, but that also builds a connection. So I think that if I know more about the athlete um, and can support them in any way, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I think that that just to that point, Kristen, when we apply that to questions that we get from athletes about goals um, you know, we have some context because like as a coach, it's your job to yeah, keep people on their path more or less. Um, I, I like to try to like keep athletes in within the roadmap and the things that they've expressed to me. And so when an athlete comes to me with something that's like totally different, I might ask some hard questions to see like where that's coming from. Um, and it's and, and like to see what kind of answers that elicits. And sometimes that's aggravating for an athlete. And, and I've also, you know, had my coach do that to me and I find that it's annoying sometimes, but, you know, it's important to look at your goals and ask you yourself, where are they coming from? You know, like, why are you interested in doing that? You know, what is influencing you? Because in the end, it has to come from within. If it's coming a hundred percent from external you're, you're going to struggle through your training. You're probably going to have a tough time when it gets tough at the race and you, you may not want to continue in the sport. And I've seen it, you know, dozens, dozens and dozens of times, you know, athletes who go from one race to the next, to the next, they have no, there's no internal connection to values to why or anything. It's just about accomplishing the goal because of the perception that the goal has externally. And then that athlete burns out and can't make it through the recovery process that occurs from doing a hard thing. And that is a huge issue because you're missing out on all of the great running that you could then be doing later and leveling up. And so like, we really want to make sure just like Kristen and Kylie mentioned, and like athletes, like pause, rewind, listen, pause, rewind, listen, try to internalize these ideas um, until they become your habits, be the way of looking at things. Um, it's just so important. Like there's no rush to create those goals there. You know, those goals have to speak to you and, and, and on deep levels, it doesn't have to be profound. It can be, I'm curious as to whether or not I can do a flat race. I usually do mountain races and, I'm curious if I can run fast on the flats for 50, whatever it is, like, that's fine and awesome. But like, there has to be that thing that connects to you, to who you are, to what you enjoy to do. Um, I, just to go back to one thing that you mentioned, Kylie, athletes who don't know what they want to do. And Drew, you mentioned this too. Drew, you specifically mentioned using winter as a maintenance period, maybe doing some base building, maybe we're working on developing parts of our running that then allow us to approach races when we have those races at a higher level, right? We've built our foundation. We're a stronger athlete. We're more economical, more efficient. And so when we want to then go into specific training, we're doing that from a new level. And so athletes who don't have a specific goal for spring or for summer yet, like, don't worry, like we can still do a lot of amazing work. And I would actually encourage athletes to purposefully create space in their 
in your training calendar. So that way you can work on those things. Because if we're only training for goals, we don't have as much opportunity to work on the basics. And every athlete, every level, Kipchoge, right on down the line, is working on fundamentals and reinforcing adaptation all the time. And their seasons work in cycles like that. They race at very specific times. They do maintenance at very specific times. They work to elicit adaptation in very specific areas at very specific times. And so that is what good training is. And if you are involved in the process of continual growth, you have to be mindful of that. Um, and so I like to think about that a lot in my when I make my calendar for 2023. How many months of base building am I going to do before how many months uh, before my A race? Oh, maybe I'll have a B or a C race that I won't train specifically for, but I'll use as like a nice pulse, a nice added like harder effort um, to maybe start to like get ready for a bigger race. We're thinking about things mindfully. We're expressing those things to our coaches when it makes sense. And when we do that, we start to have this really like this architecture for a year that starts to, to come out. And a coach is mindful of those things and is constantly thinking about them. And so therefore the athlete should be as well. Um, I love winter for that very reason. Like I do a little bit more stride work, uh, a little bit more relaxed long runs. Maybe I ski an extra day a week because I can build base and I'm doing a lot of uphill. And over time, that builds my aerobic system and my foundation. So then I'm ready to train for, I don't know, a big race in May or something. And so, you know, I just want you guys to be thinking about those things in, in, in your own terms and how they apply to you. If we have space, we can then insert good training and help elicit growth on your behalf. So, you know, there's no, there's no need to race in January, February. Um, don't put that pressure on yourself unless it feels really freaking good and fun. Uh, coaches, what, um, any other, any other thoughts or should we finish up here with a little winter running 101? Let's hit winter running. Cool. All right. So yeah, good segue. <laughs> um, all right, let's go down the list here. I like athletes to do a warm up and cool down in winter. Um, the uh, four minute wake up legs, great dynamic stretching routine with some banded monster walks and some leg swings and some lunges, just stuff to really like prime your system before going out and training. Guys, don't run cold. Um, that is one of my biggest things in winter. Don't go out there when you're cold. Get a good warm-up in. Um, second point, workouts and strides were focused on being smooth. I really like athletes to run a few steps easier in their workouts and strides than they would in, in summer when it's warmer. In winter, it's a little bit easier to strain because our muscles are cold. So just prioritize smoothness. Don't worry about the output. It's a great time to like disengage from, from the data. Um, I know that 
Kylie was going to offer some advice on frozen gels and how we could adapt our fueling a little bit in, in winter. Yeah, this could be probably a long conversation, longer conversation, but I'll keep try it to, to, the, to the highlights. Uh, yeah, I'll try to keep it quick. Uh, I think, you know, the main thing is trying to keep um, everything close to the center of your core, because that's where a lot of your blood flow is going. And so making sure like if you have a pack or something that you're keeping your nutrition in, um, you might want to consider like putting a jacket over the top of it so that it keeps the heat locked in. Um, sometimes I even have people though, like, uh, my lady runners, like might put, uh, gels like in their sports bra. So it's even closer to the skin and like center of the core. Um, you do need to keep in mind some gels just aren't as good in the winter, uh, for they might freeze quicker than others. And you might have to consider like, maybe I want to have some options that I use in the summer, some that I use in the winter. Um, and, and now is actually a good time to be, you know, experimenting with your nutrition, um, especially if you don't have a race coming up in the next month or two, um, it gives you some time to like play around with some things. Um, sometimes like your food, more food blend type things like spring energy, um, your energy might be, a, a better option in the winter. Cause they're not, uh, going to freeze as much. I will say chews are not a great option in the winter, like your, uh, cliff blocks or scratch chews. Like they just become solid blocks that you can't really chew. <laughs> um, and then getting a lot of questions like about the, um, fluid piece. Uh, I think it's really important to have a strategy for this because a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'm not thirsty in the winter. Um, unfortunately, like you actually are losing a, a, typically a decent amount of fluids in the winter. It's just that your blood is diverted more um, to kind of keep you warm in your center. And then that actually affects your thirst response. So you need to figure out a strategy that's going to work for you, like beepers on your watch or something to consume fluids. Um, and I would recommend like wrapping your bottles in, um, in like a wool sock. Um, if you're used to using a bladder, you might want to consider switching to like bottles and having them again, close to your center of your core. Um, and if you like, again, if you're used to having a handheld, that might not be right now, the best option trying to like figure out a system where you have everything like closer to your center. Um, if you are going on like long, um, tours or like if you're skiing or something as a cross training thing, or you're doing long runs, um, this sounds a little crazy, but like doing a little bit of vodka in your, uh, in your, uh, fueling, um, bottles, et cetera, can actually prevent, uh, freezing. So thinking about, and I'm not talking like you put shots, like tons of shots of vodka in each bottle, but even just like a quarter to a half of a shot, uh, can prevent freezing. Um, same thing with hydration mixes, like they're going to, um, help lower that, uh, freezing point. So, um, you know, making sure maybe you have a hydration mix option that you could utilize. Um, and then a lot of my athletes will use something like a, a Morton or super fuel or something to try and get more calories from their fluids so that they're not maybe having to figure out like, oh, how am I going to bring food that's not going to freeze? 
Um, so you might want to consider like a trialing a higher calorie drink mix in the winter to see if that could work for you. Um, so lots of different things to think about. That's just like a few highlights. I, you know, I have some other thoughts on that, depending on, um, you know, the activity you're doing and stuff like that. Like if you are doing ski touring, like your nutrition might look a little bit different than if you're doing a long run or something. We'll stay in the, in the running yeah. vein for now, Kylie. Uh, but thank you. I think those are some great takeaways. Um, Drew, how about some takeaways on, on gear, winter gear, staying warm? Yeah, for sure. So uh, really, really important that you emphasize layering. I, I know it sounds really elementary at this point, like all of us, most of us have, you know, run through a winter before. So your understanding of that, but um, the, the heavier jacket that you wear, say it's like, say it's like 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, you're like, man, that's cold. I need to bundle up. But the idea is you're wearing something really heavy um, and you get warm, like you don't have the ability to regulate temperature um, very well. Right. And so uh, the idea is uh, thin layers, uh, multiple layers if needed, and then to really up your shell game. You don't need to own like seven different shells. You need like one really good, maybe two, but one really good shell. Um, trying to, to focus on the quality of the gear that you wear, not necessarily the quantity of the gear that you wear. Um, as it pertains to gear, making sure that your, your gloves are on point. Uh, you never really want to have really cold hands. It's uncomfortable and kind of takes your mind off of what you should be paying attention to. Um, I know that TJ, for sure, cold feet is an absolute no-no. Like you need to make sure that you're wearing awesome socks, maybe even doubling up if you have to, uh, but making sure that your sock game is on, uh, you're on top of that. Um, I'm a huge fan of getting done with runs and having a change of clothes in my car. Uh, it doesn't have to be like in a hot box or something like that, but making sure that you've got dry clothes to put on so that you're not, uh, for me, say like my commute's like 10, 15 minutes to get back to my house after a group run. Um, sitting there in cold, wet clothes when I get home is tough. And the first thing my kids do is they want to jump all over me, delaying my time to like get warm, right? So having dry clothes in the car is a lifesaver um, for, for those post-run deals. Hope that was quick enough. No, that was perfect because I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on this and really cloud up the recommendations. It's just what you mentioned right there, Drew. And it's the same with the fueling, right? Like let's incorporate a couple tips each week until we, you know, refine this and figure out the systems that work. Um, Kristen, you mentioned, and I, and Sarah, you kind of mentioned this too, um, how do you utilize your car as an aid station in winter? What's like, what's the purpose there? Um, how um, can athletes do that? Yeah. I like to utilize the car as an aid station, like keeping a thermos of like hot noon or hot tea or something that I can have. Like if I'm really cold in the middle of the run, like I used to use my car as an aid station all the time at Walker ranch in Boulder where I'd like stop after a lap, take a sip of something hot and then go. But it's also really nice to have something hot ready for you in the car. As soon as you're done, because to Drew's point, you're sweaty, you know, like you're wet, it's cold. It's even worse when it's windy. So I, you know, keep a change of clothes in there just in case, but I especially want to take off my sports bra as soon as possible. Um, and I always bring a puffy to wear after, but I mean, 
You can even use like those insulated like lunch bags that kids have to keep gels in so that even if it is freezing outside, like you can try to keep your gels a little bit more like, you know, a little more protected from freezing um, with things like that. But uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what Sarah has has to say too, because she always has really good ideas. Sarah had to go, but um, I think her ideas <laughs> were in the same vein as yours, Kristen. Like having those warm beverages helps to warm up the core. I think it it also is great for perceived effort and stuff like that. Um, I know particularly like in winter, I still sweat a good amount, um, especially if I'm if I'm using kind of that layering technique that Drew mentioned, where I'll wear like a breathable shell on top, but you know, something lighter underneath, I'll still end up sweating and then I get wet. And so like, it's great, like when you're moving, but then when you stop, you know, you feel cold. So, you know, having that, that warm drink is great. I think the, the puffy and the change of clothes, like also awesome. Like if you're using your car as an aid station and you need to take a few minutes, like dial in your gear. I mean, a lot of athletes are doing, you know, three hour runs in, in winter, pull that puffy jacket on just for a few minutes to it's easy to get cold very quickly when you're wet and then you stop moving. Um, so when you put that puffy on, you can keep some of that warmth in your core, which is great for your perceived efforts. Good for your GI system and all of that. Um, I actually, I recommend that to athletes too, when they're racing, um, doing those longer hundreds at night, you know, having that puffy jacket just on hand. So you can just throw that on really quick while you're breaking, when you're with your crew and then just pop it off when you go back out to run. Um, any final thoughts on winter, winter running go-tos? My biggest one is the warm up and the cold feet. Don't run with cold feet. Yeah, I think one thing, and I don't, I don't know if this was mentioned before, but with the layering, uh, dressing as though it's 20 degrees warmer than it actually is, because you will warm up and you don't want to be too sweaty. So with layering, don't put on like four layers, maybe go for like a light layer and a shell because after 10 minutes, you're going to be going to be hot. So yeah. Oh, and that reminds me, I will like, I like to warm up like that in my house like with yeah. this, with the same kit that I'll go running in. And that way I can kind of like warm up to the point where I, I start to feel a bit warm and then I'll go out and run. So then it won't feel like miserable for those first 10, 15 minutes. Cool. Well, thanks guys. I, I really enjoyed that call. I hope uh, everybody out there listening um, did as well. If you guys have questions, Anything comes to mind um, that you want us to dive into more specifically, we're doing a rapid fire Friday um, next Friday. So we can definitely talk more specifically about winter running tips then. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Have a great weekend.